chapter 7. We um, are dealing with a topic that's a little more difficult today um, because it's the type of topic that touches so many lives. Um, when you get to Proverbs chapters 5 through 7, so almost 10% of Proverbs is devoted almost exclusively to warning people to avoid sexual sin, particularly adultery. Now, we live in a time where sex has been both thought too little of, thought too much of. And one way, people have cheapened it and think too little of it in our culture. It's treated merely as any activity. On the other hand, people have idolized it and can't imagine their life without it on their terms. And in the book, Meet Generation Z by James Emery White, he describes the rising generation. Now, this will strike some fear into your heart this morning. Those born between 1996 and 2010... White notes that 70% they have found of all 18 to 34-year-olds are regular viewers of pornography. 70%. The average age to begin viewing pornography right now in our culture is 11. 11. He goes on to note that nearly 75% of those ages 15 to 18 have sexted, and about 50% have sent naked or semi-naked photo or videos of themselves to others. And 84% have gotten sexually explicit messages by phone or email. 84%. That is growing up in 2017 in our Western culture today in the United States. And in a culture where sexual immorality, sexual sin, pornography, and the like are so common, it should not surprise us that we see lives and families ripped apart, ripped to pieces due to poor choices in this area. It's common. So it's a difficult subject because so many lives have been affected by sexual sin. Marriages that have been rocked by adultery. And this is why we have to deal with it. It's why we have to talk about it when we get to, to it in the scriptures is because the stakes are too high. When you read Proverbs, your very life's at stake to some degree. But there's hope in the midst of all that. In the midst of sort of a bleak picture, there's a lot of hope. Hope for those who are tempted in this area. Hope for those who have fallen and messed up in this area. Hope for those who have shipwrecked their life there feel like in this area. And that hope is in a person, and his name is Jesus. And that's good news this morning, no matter what the past or the present looks like. So understand this morning, as we dive into this, we kind of have to set the framework again, that sex is a gift of, given by God to be stewarded God's way and not one to be worshipped. It's not a dirty word or an ugly word, and it's not to be an idol. It's a gift to be stewarded the way God says to steward it. In Genesis 1 and 2, God creates the first people, Adam and Eve, and he tells them what? Be fruitful and multiply. I think we all know what that means, all right? Be fruitful and multiply. That's in the context of a marital relationship between a man and a woman. And as you look at the rest of Scripture, it's very clear God's design for sex is that it be between one man and one woman united in marriage. As D.A. Carson notes, noted scholar D.A. Carson says, sex is about timing. The world says any time, any place. God says, my time, my place. However, ever since the fall, ever since the first human sinned and took bite of that fruit that was forbidden, Sexual sin has wreaked havoc in the world, and it starts in Genesis. The Old Testament is riddled with examples of sexual sin and its destructive nature. People have thought too little and thought too much of this for way too long, for a very long time, ever since the fall. And so when you get to Proverbs 5, 6, and 7, we have to remind ourselves, this is the introduction part of Proverbs, the first nine chapters. And it's written like a father writing to a son. So when you see a lot of these things, you'll see a lot of addressing of him warning him of a woman. If he was talking to his daughter, he would have warned her of a man. Okay, he's warning of a temptation. He's not saying, he's not trying to paint some picture that this is the way all women are. 
But he is talking to a son. In a way, a dad talks to a son or a mother talks to a daughter or a dad talks to a daughter or a mother talks to a son. It's all different. So you have to understand that when you read it. Kind of apply it to your context. There are principles here that whether you're male or female, whether you're married or single, that apply. Even though in this particular setting, he is talking to his son and he's talking specifically about the sin of adultery. But it has application broader than that as we know. So look with me at Proverbs chapter 7. We're going to read the whole chapter, verses 1 through 27. And no, this is the tail end. This is the third section really on this that you get to. It kind of begins to, it really begins to lay out what this looks like in someone's life. Look, at, look with me at Proverbs chapter 7, starting in verse 1. He writes, My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call insight your intimate friend to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. Pause there for a second. Commentator Trimper Longman points out how the term commandment there is pointing to God's law. Uh, the Torah, when he talks, he uses that word commandment. It's the same word used for that. And what he's saying here is the Father's saying, my commandments and God's commandments in this particular instance are running parallel to one another because what I'm going to command you and what God commands you are the same here because God commands you to flee this as well. Verse 6, For at the window of my house I have looked out through my lattice and I have seen among the simple. I have perceived among the youths a young man lacking sense. Passing along the street near her corner, Taking the road to her house in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. And behold, the woman meets him dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him. And with bold face she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices and today I've paid my vows. So now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him, and at full moon he'll come back home. He'll come home. Verse 21, with much seductive speech she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver. As a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. And now, O oh sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim has she laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. So in the end, we get a picture of this naive young man who had no idea the world of hurt he was bringing into his life. Chapter 6 and 7 especially note just how much self-destruction is brought through this act. How it sets off a bomb in your life. How adultery in particular sets off a bomb in a family. You know, the first thing we should notice as we read this chapter is just the frank reality of sexual temptation. The father, like I said, spends three of nine chapters in the introduction mostly warning 
of adultery and sexual sin. In fact, this warning is used as a sort of metaphor for wisdom and folly. Lady Folly and the Forbidden Woman are very similar when you compare them. They are loud and boisterous and they both lead to death. And he is illustrating the importance of wisdom, the destruction of folly, and at the same time he's warning against foolishly walking into sexual sin of any type. And the bottom line is this is a wisdom issue and few life decisions are more foolish and will cause more destruction in your life than this particular issue. And when it comes to sexual sin and adultery in particular, many take a, oh, it can never happen to me attitude. That is the, that is the attitude of many in the church. Even though they won't verbally say it, they live their life that way and we, we think that way, it, that is something that other people do and something that happens to people out there. But the Bible's clear. Pride comes before the fall. And as Paul wrote the Corinthians, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. So if you think this is a sin that doesn't apply to you, you could be being set up. So we have to think about this and think, th and think this through. So the first thing I want you to notice is I want you to know uh, that who, who sexual temptation involves. So you see a couple of characters here. So who, who does it involve? Well, first of all, we see the person being tempted here. The person tempted isn't painted as some weird weirdo, some person that you just can't imagine identifying with. Seems pretty normal to me going for a walk here. The father is speaking to his young man's son, and he gives him a story of a young man. He wants him to identify with the story. We need to identify with the story wherever we're at in life. And he's speaking to a man in his, if he was speaking to a man in his 50s, for instance, he may give him a middle-aged guy scenario. The story might sound a little bit different, but the end would look very similar. The point is that this is an everyman, in a sense. Particularly, though, the one who lacks sense. As verse 7 says, among the youths, a young man lacking sense. A picture of a guy that doesn't really know how to spot trouble. He's not necessarily looking for trouble. He doesn't know that trouble's looking for him and doesn't know how to spot it when it's near. It's a lack of sense. And you don't have to go looking for trouble in this area. The world's broken. Trouble's looking for us this morning. It's seeking us out. People don't get married assuming that they'll one day cheat. Christian singles don't commit to purity assuming they won't achieve it. Sin is crouching at the door for all of us. And as verses 8 and 9 point out, he goes near her corner. He's taking the road to her house at dark, at twilight. Now, this could just be painting an ominous picture for us. We can't stretch it too far. Or maybe, though, he wants to see that this person is in the wrong place and at the wrong time. And he should have been wise enough to realize he shouldn't have been in the wrong place at the wrong time. A lot of immorality and affairs start with avoidable situations and avoidable conversations that didn't have to be had. An obvious path that could have been avoided. It's a lack of wisdom to not see the foolishness in our actions and where they could lead. Oh, I'd never do that. I'd never go there. Never commit that sin. It's what someone says as they stumble into a completely avoidable situation. And then we see a tempter. In verse 10, she's dressed like a prostitute, it says. That doesn't mean she is a prostitute. She's married. She's likely not a prostitute. But she is dressed provocatively. That's the point. It's not that she is one. It's that she's dressed like one. In other words, she's dressed to allure. She's wily of heart. That's an interesting phrase in the ESV. And she's loud and wayward. The idea is that she's, she's hiding something. She's deceptive. You, you, what you see is not what you get is the point. She's shady. And it says she lies in wait. Now see, you've got one picture of someone who's not looking for trouble, but trouble's looking for him. And you've got another person over here, and they're looking for trouble. And that is kind of the way this works, isn't it? Uh, in general, I mean, somebody either is not really looking for this, or just not really wise, and they find themselves in tempting situations, and they fail. Or 
there are other people that go looking for this kind of stuff. They go looking to sin in this area. That, that, that just go wholeheartedly, run headlong into sin. This is a person full of folly and sin, headed for destruction, more concerned with pleasure than purity, getting whatever they want rather than pleasing God. They, they're seeking failure and destruction, but they're doing it in the name of love, happiness, pleasure, and freedom. Notice she's religious. She's went to sacrifice and pay vows. She's a religious person. Not every person that names the name of God is godly. Not everyone who walks through the doors of the church loves Jesus and wants to honor him. These are normal people is the point. These are people you may know. It could be any of us. It could be you. It could be me. So don't read this and think, oh, this reminds me of fill in the blank. Read it and let the word be a mirror to you to show you where am I like this young man or where am I like this lady? Where am I like this person in some way? Where do you lack sense? Where do we compromise? Where do we ignore God's word? How are we like these people? That's how we should read Proverbs. Now, secondly, I want you to notice what sexual temptation looks like, how it plays itself out here. Proverbs 7 mostly deals with the conversation side of temptation. Proverbs 5 warns about the eyes and being allured to the beauty of someone who is not your spouse. So that's a real component. But that's not where the Bible spends its emphasis in Proverbs 5, 6, and 7. It spends its emphasis on the speech and on the conversation that's taking place. She has smooth words. Some translations say honey lips. It means seductive, flattering words, persuasive words. Let me give you three Three things here about the, how this temptation works with, with the speech and how, how it's evolved here. Notice, first of all, he's made to feel safe. Verse 14 says, I had to offer sacrifices and have paid my vows. Now, I mentioned she's religious. Now, why would you share that with him? Well, I think for one reason, she's trying to let him know I'm, an, I'm not some weirdo. I'm not a prostitute. I'm not a bad person. I'm a good person. I'm a safe person to be with. I'm a lot like you. I'm religious too. I believe in God. I love God. God must be in this. This must be a God thing. God wants us to be happy, right? She's, she's spiritualizing the moment. From the very moment he walks up, she's painting a spiritual picture. And once you start convincing yourself it's okay to sin sexually because of who it is, you've already lost. She's got a major character flaw that she's trying to cover for. And that's what happens when you ignore someone's obvious sin, justified act. So she's saying, I'm a safe person. She wants him to feel safe. She says, this is a safe act. Verse 19 of chapter 7, she says, my husband is not at home. He's gone on a long journey. He took a big old bag of money with him. He's not coming back to full moon. What's she saying? You won't get caught. Now, why would that be a big deal? Because in their culture, if you got caught in the act, the penalty was death. And the only person that could prevent it was the husband. And Proverbs warns in chapter 6, he's not very likely to do that. So what's she saying? You're not going to die. You're not going to get caught. My husband won't. That's why she wants you to know. My husband's a long way from here. You're not going to get stoned to death over this. But Proverbs 5 makes it clear that God sees sexual sin. That we may fool everyone and hide it from everyone, but we'll never fool God. Your spouse may not know, but God will. It's God who judges and it's God who sees. One of the main points in these three chapters is that there's no such thing as a safe sexual sin. It always hurts. It always leads to some form of destruction and harm and damage. And God always sees. But she wants him to feel safe. See, we're wired in such a way that we'll have an amount of risk that we don't want to assume. Everybody's like that. Now, some will assume more risk than others, right? Some of you are crazy people that will go jump off stuff with a little string hanging and bounce up and down for a while. I'll watch your video on YouTube, but I'm not going to do that. 
Some people do everything by the gut, right? You, 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 I, this feels like the right decision, so you do it. Some people are methodical. I'm more of a methodical person. I take my time. But the, the point is this. We all have this level of risk that we're willing to assume and a level of risk that we're not willing to go past. And whatever his level of risk is, she's attacking it. She's attacking it. She wants him to feel safe. She wants to guard down. I'm an okay person to talk to. Oh, I know I look like I'm dressed a little funny. I know I, I look like a prostitute, but I just came from church. That's the picture. Oh, by the way, we won't get caught. Nobody will see this. Nobody will know this. This is safe. She wants him to feel safe, but she also wants him to feel special. Verse 15, I've come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. Oh, isn't he important? Oh, I came out to find you. I went and did all this, but now I've come out here. I'm looking for you. She says it three times in one sentence. I've come out to meet you, to seek you, and I have found you. Listen, people want to feel special and sought and pursued. Men and women. And I've never met anyone that didn't want to feel important to someone or prized by someone. It's just true. And this particular lady is preying on that. And men, we need to understand that we are arrogant and proud many times. And the reason that Solomon warns him over and over again of her seductive speech, it means her flattery, is because we are way too easily flattered. We need to know the sin of pride can lead to the sin of sexual immorality. That it is pride that goes before the fall. And that you can't effectively guard against sexual sin no matter what you do if you don't guard against the sin of pride because that's what comes first. So that person that makes you feel important, special, they might not even be meaning to do that, but your flesh is setting you up because your flesh likes it. Your flesh likes flattery. And by the way, ladies, yours does too. And man, you need to know that about your wives. So we should strive to make our spouses know we love and prize them, but there's no excuse to go looking for that elsewhere. None. And some people are so proud, they will look for it, even if they receive it from their spouse. They're just hungry for it. It doesn't matter. Even if their spouse is the greatest spouse in the world, they'll just go. Because it's, it's about the heart, which we'll get to in just a moment. So she makes him feel safe. She makes him feel special. And next, she engages his imagination. Verses 16 through 18, she speaks very sensually and visually. She's engaging his senses, colored linens, perfumed bed. Let's take our fill of love until morning. She sounds like a Super Bowl ad for like something. I don't know. She's painting him a picture, a visual, a sensual picture, a picture he can feel, smell, and think about. And men in particular are very visual, but we all are to some degree. And here she's painting a picture of a fantasy that he won't get caught in with someone that he think, that thinks very highly of him. She's making the whole situation sound very desirable. Here's the problem. She's not giving him the whole picture. She's, she's painting a fantasy. She doesn't paint the picture of him not being able to break it off. She doesn't paint the picture of his son or daughter finding his text messages. She doesn't paint the picture of a broken-hearted bride smelling foreign perfume from those linens. She doesn't paint the picture of divorce court and awkward counseling and broken hearts and shame and guilt and regret. No, just a moment, just a moment of pleasure. That's all that she's painting for. And that's what sin does, and that's what temptation does, and that's what we'll even do to ourselves. Somebody doesn't have to paint that picture for you. That's the way the imagination works. And you may get a sensual feast, but you will pay for it. It's never free. You're not the only one that pays. Spouse pays. Kids 
pay. Church pays. Friends who don't know how to act around you anymore pay. We know this. We got to run from it. We got to run from it. While you're sober of spirit and sober of mind and you're not in a situation while you're sitting in church, hopefully not in any way being thinking or being alert, make a sober-minded decision that I'm going to run from this because if you decide to do it once temptation has set in, it may be too late. And it always ends in destruction. Look at the picture there, the way the verse ends. All at once he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter, as a stag is caught fast, so an arrow pierces its liver. It's a picture of not only death, but painful death, like an arrow piercing a liver. He's saying, he's saying it's just not going to kill you, it's going to hurt. And he's saying, he's, like, he's going like an ox to the slaughter. An ox happily goes to the slaughter because he don't know what the slaughter is. And that's what's happening here. He's just happy-go-lucky. He has no idea that it's going to cost him his life. So he says, listen, be attentive. Notice, her slain are a mighty throng. In other words, there's no one who's above failure here. Solomon knew this. King David was on the list. The only man in the Bible that it says God was after, he was after God's heart failed in this area. You and I are not above failure in this area. Her slain are a mighty throng. There is no person too godly, no person too holy, that they can't fall in this area. So we have to be warned. So how do we avoid it? That's the third thing. How can this be avoided? How can sexual immorality be avoided? I'll give you three quick things. First of all, the thrust of the passage is we need to guard our heart by pursuing wisdom in Christ. We go back up to verses 3 through 5. Bind them on your fingers. What? His teachings. What he's teaching. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. Now, we think that word is we think like our sister, but they didn't use it that way. It usually had, in this particular context, it's used like it's used in the Song of Solomon as a picture of an intimate friend, of like a, of like a, a love interest. What he's saying is you need to get acquainted with wisdom. You need to be close with, it needs to be in your heart to keep you from the forbidden woman, to keep you from the adulteress with her smooth words. Towards the end of the passage, he says, do not let your heart go astray to her. See, the heart is the concern at the beginning and the end of the passage. It's the heart. It's the heart that determines behavior. We come back and forth to that in Proverbs. We're always trying to separate our actions from our heart, aren't we? Don't we do that? Well, I know I said that. I know I did that. That's not what's in my heart. Yes, it is. Our culture and our human nature is to say, this is what I do, and here's who I am on the inside. And Jesus spent a lot of time tearing that wall down and going, no! You want to know who you are on the inside? Look through your actions. That is the window to your soul. What is in the heart comes out in our actions. So in that moment, at that time, when we sin, there's sin in our heart. In our heart. So we have to deal with the heart. We're fooling ourselves if we don't deal with our heart. We don't get honest about the heart. We can't be honest about our sin. This quote from Paul Tripp in his book, Sex and Money, is a really good one. Let me read it to you. So bear with me while I read it. Paul Tripp writes, You will never win the battle with sexual sin by just attempting to harness your behavior because every wrong sexual act is connected to a decision which is connected to a desire in your heart. And you always give your heart away before you surrender your body to what is wrong. Always. The heart. And from the outset, he says, you need to get wisdom in your heart. You need to get intimate with wisdom. One of the major themes of Proverbs is the personification of what it calls lady wisdom. We see that laid out in chapter 9. That was the first week in Proverbs. She's going to, in chapter 9, invite the son to a feast. And she represents God's wisdom. That's what she represents. Lady wisdom is 
personification of God's wisdom. And that, and throughout Proverbs, we're, we're, we're told that that is found first and foremost in fearing the Lord, that it's the Lord who gives it, and that it, the fear of the Lord is the very beginning of wisdom. Yes, we can grow, we can mature, we can learn from experience and things we learn from God's word and from counsel, all those other things. But it starts with a posture and a position of submission to God and fearing him, reverencing him, revering him. When we get to the New Testament, we learn that Jesus is the very embodiment of God's wisdom. He is, he is wisdom from God, come from God. Wisdom is a Jesus issue, in other words. A Jesus issue. And as we follow Jesus, we grow in wisdom. I want to become wiser. I need to get closer to Christ. So wisdom throughout the scripture shouts to us, don't pursue a forbidden relationship, but rather pursue Christ and wisdom in him. If you want to overcome forbidden passions, you need to gain a greater passion for a greater person. Christ is the more desirable one we should be desiring, who sinlessly walked the path of wisdom and willingly laid down his life on the cross for sinners, all sinners, and all sexual sinners. It is he who has risen to conquer sin, death, and hell. And you want power over sin in your life? I want power over sin in my life? We want power to resist temptation of all types? You want to be set free from the stronghold of sexual sin or pornography or any other sin? It's found in the one who has conquered it on the cross. Wisdom who has come from God, Jesus, who has conquered sin, death, and hell. And in Christ, we learn to fear the Lord. We learn to revere him and worship him and orient our life around him. And we begin to put ourselves under his word and submit to him and strive to obey him. Sexual sin does not have to have the last word in your life. Jesus gets the last word. It's Jesus who, nailed, who took that sin to the cross. No matter your past, you can find forgiveness and hope. No matter your present. And you can find strength to rebuild and resist temptation in Jesus. That's good news. So we need to pursue wisdom through Christ. Here's another. It's a little more... Just, Practical advice from Proverbs. Avoid foolish decisions and foolish situations. This is very pragmatic. In this proverb, he's in the wrong place at the wrong time. We mentioned that. He has no business on a dark street talking to a woman dressed like a prostitute at night. He lacks sense. In other words, he should have known better. And part of fighting sin is fighting your own stupid gene. I've got it. We've all got it. I don't mean to offend you this morning if you think you're brighter than that. But our sin makes us dumb. It makes us ignorant. It makes us foolish. And we make bad decisions. And we have to, part of fighting sin is realizing I don't have it all figured out. And there are situations, I don't know what all I'm capable of. That's part of fighting sin is understanding that. Let me ask you, do you put yourself in foolish situations this morning? Is there a relationship at work that should not be? Someone making you feel a little too good about yourself? Someone you tell things to that you don't even tell your spouse? Singles. What's the guardrails in your dating life? Are you dating people that you shouldn't even be dating, like non-Christians? Are you putting yourself in situations that you shouldn't be putting yourself in, right? I mean, it's like driving 150 miles per hour down the road, sitting on top of the car with no seatbelt on, hope, hoping nothing bad happens. Are you putting yourself in foolish, making foolish decisions? Whatever we cook at home, and the kids like to run around in the kitchen. And Christy will go to open the stove to check on something she's baking and never fails. We, we get the kids and we get them back before she opens the oven. We're not really afraid they're going to jump in. 
But we know if they touch it, they're going to get burned, right? So we get back, get back, or get out, right? Got to open this up. Back's going to be turned, not going to be able to see. Just showing some wisdom. Minimizing the risk. The further they are from the stove, the less likely chance. Now, I know that could be taken to legalistic standards. I mean, it really could, but we could just take it to legalistic standards. Like, why, why date at all? Just get an arranged marriage or something like that, right? I mean, we could go, you could just go crazy with it, but that's not the point. We do have to decide how we're going to minimize the risk of our sinful flesh, though, and our own stupid genes. I've never heard of an affair story that started with, you know, I was minding my own business and reading my Bible and praying, and suddenly I found myself in a very compromising situation. They never start like that. There's always a story. There's always the first conversation that was too far. There was always a situation they never should have been in. There's always progression, and it's always avoidable. Every single time. Every single time. Lastly, a third way to fight this and to avoid this is to pursue your spouse. Proverbs 7 is all about pursuing wisdom. Proverbs 5, though, is all about pursuing your spouse. Those are the two ladies that you need to pursue in your life. If you're a man, if you're a woman, you need to pursue lady wisdom and you need to pursue your husband. Proverbs 5, 15 through 21 says this. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. Now, some of you can't believe that's in the Bible. It's the first time you heard it. I saw some men writing in their Bible for the first time in five years, okay? But the Bible takes your marriage seriously. God takes our marriage more seriously than we do, no matter how serious we take it. And one way the Bible wants you to fight lust and immorality is by pursuing your spouse. Yes, in friendship, and yes, sexually, completely pursuing your spouse. And the Bible gives us a whole book called the Song of Solomon, or Song of Songs, about romantic love between a husband and wife. It's a big deal to God. He devoted a whole book to it. Think about that. God cares about the romance in your marriage. And Proverbs 5 is saying, don't pour your energy into some other relationship. Invest it in your marriage and your spouse because God sees everything and that's the covenant you took before him. He wants you invested in your marriage, not someone else. So date your spouse, pursue your spouse, talk to your spouse, know each other's needs and desires, be friends with your spouse, be open and honest, fight temptation and fight for your marriage together, together, not on an island. And if you're single, the only appropriate place to pursue sexual activity is in marriage. So don't buy the lie that it's different for you or that God understands, end quote. If you are single and at a stage in life where you can get married, be wise about all that and marry the right kind of person. Don't rush into anything, but don't buy into the world's lies either. We have a world that wants you to get married later and later and later and later because career is the God of our culture many times. We have a world that wants you to have kids later and later and later and later and as few as possible. That's our culture. Don't buy the world's lies and delay stuff forever while you pursue other things. Pursue Christ, pursue a spouse. It's an okay. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. So does she who finds a husband in the Lord. So maybe today, 
We have sin in this area. Maybe you've got a past that you're not proud of that you've never confessed to the Lord. Maybe you've got a present that you're struggling with that you haven't been honest with God about. There is forgiveness to be found at the feet of Christ. And that is good news. God hates all sin, and God forgives all sin in Jesus. All of it. God has not given up on you. The blood of Jesus can cleanse you from all unrighteousness and wash away every sin. And if you're pursuing wisdom in Christ, in this story, the son is pursuing wisdom. He's not foolish. That's why the picture's painted the way it is. This is a good kid, good guy, loves Jesus, loves his wife. He's the one getting the warning. So if that's you this morning, you love your spouse, your husband, your wife, you're pursuing Christ, Take heed to this. Remind yourself of these things. Marriage is a marathon, not a sprint. Two people that are constantly going through change. You have to fight for your marriage and fight against immorality together. So take this message as a warning, an encouragement to stay on the path of wisdom. However you've been affected by sexual sin, whether it's your own or someone else's, there is peace, forgiveness, and hope to be found in Jesus. And that is good news. We have to heed the solemn warning, but our eyes should always be fixated on Jesus and what he has done. If you do not know Christ this morning, if you've never turned from your sin and embraced him, I invite you today to turn from your sin and put your faith and trust in Christ. If you're a believer this morning, you need prayer, I'd love to pray with you. You can pray at your seat. We're going to stand.